Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am Sarah. I've got Darcy with me today. Say hi, Darcy. Hey, what's up? And today we've got a special treat for our listeners. We've got a crime scene specialist with us. We've got Heather on the show today. Say hi, Heather. Hello. Heather is going to give us some information about what she does and kind of share what a crime scene specialist does because this is a true crime podcast and we are interested in everything true crime. We thought this would be a fun interview to do to give folks some information about what the police does to investigate crimes. So we have some questions that we are going to ask Heather. Darcy, if you want to go ahead and start. Sure. So if you could just give us a little bit of background about how you grew up, where you're from, things like that. I'm originally from San Francisco. Um, This is my second career. I moved around all over the place. I worked in emerging technologies for 14 years before I moved on to this. And I worked in L.A., New York, San Francisco, and San Diego. Wow. That's pretty much my background. I had a pretty uninteresting childhood, so there's not much to say there. Any brothers and sisters? I have two brothers. And are you, where do you fit in that order? I'm the oldest. Okay, so you got to be the one that was in charge. Leading the charge. (laughs) And what was your favorite out of all those places? Is it San Diego? No, it's not San Diego. (laughs) Oh, man, wrong answer. (laughs) (laughs) I moved here uh, because my partner was here. That's just kind of how things played out. But I really loved living in New York, and I'd probably go back in a heartbeat. So you're married. Do you have any kids? No, no kids. Okay. Do you want kids someday? Maybe. We'll see. I know that my brother does crime scene investigation, and he really did not want to start a family for the longest time Mm -hmm. because of what he'd seen and how his job impacted what he had seen with kids and with families and some very scary things. Does that have an influence at all on your decision there, or is it just a personal decision? No, it's... If anything, I'm more driven to be a parent because I think we would most likely adopt And I see what happens to some of these kids in the system, you know, where they end up in not great homes or they need a home. I would love to be able to provide that someday. That's awesome. The big thing for me is just the demand of my time and, you know, working on call and working on hours. And, you know, sometimes I'll work a 16 hour day, an 18 hour day. And, you know, how does a kid fit into that? You know, I want to make sure I can provide a good life and be there for them. So I'm kind of still testing stuff out and figuring out how I can make it work. Well, Darcy's adopted, right? Yeah. Yeah, I am. So it's kind of as though, and I feel strongly about that issue as well. There are so many kids in the system that need good homes and so many, I think, few good parents that really have the kind of quality, personality, patience, educational background. I think they can really lend to providing a better life for these kids. And I think it's important for people to step up and do that. And it's awesome that you Mm -hmm. and your partner are completely on board with that. The second question that we have on this list is how did you get interested in true crime? I never got interested in true crime. I really liked the job itself. So for me, one of the big things with my previous career is I stopped being able to do things that were challenging. You know, I was doing the same thing over and over again, and I got really tired of it. And I'd always been interested in forensics, not necessarily because of true crime, but because I liked the idea of a puzzle and having to find a way to solve it. You know, you end up with sometimes really huge scenes and you have to be able to see the big picture, but also be detail oriented enough to make sense of it. Wow. If that makes any sense. So it's very much for me, like it's very mentally stimulating. And that's what got me interested in it was that. And I love science too. So that was a big 
factor. So you definitely like this position better than your last one. Absolutely. I'm <laughs> so happy. <laughs> you mentioned that you switched careers. So did you study technology in school or did you go back to school for forensics? So I actually have an art degree. Um, that's how I started out. I have a degree in 3D media, so animation and things like that. And it just kind of organically grew into emerging technologies where I was working on things for NASA and Stanford and creating these awesome prototypes. And then that kind of blossomed into something else. And I just sort of went along with it. When I decided to change careers, I quit doing that work entirely and started my own company building websites so I could support myself while I went back to school. So I did go back to school for forensics. Um, that's absolutely necessary for anybody trying to get into it. You definitely need to go to school for that. And what does that look like? How much time does it take to get a forensics degree? The program I went through takes about two years because you have to cover a lot of things. There's, uh, you know, photography and fingerprint uh, work that takes a lot of time. I have a year of training in each of those things alone, and that doesn't even count anything else like, you know, all the other things that you do at a crime scene or... You know, you need a little bit of a science background, too. So chemistry, biology, just some of the basics so you know what you're dealing with. And where can you get that at any university or community college? Where can you get a degree in forensics? There are not a lot of places that offer it. I know uh, National University offers a couple degrees in it. I went to Grossmont College in El Cajon. They have an incredible forensic program. It's super thorough and it's very hands-on, which I highly recommend. It's not really something you can do in an online course. You really physically need to be there and go through the motions of doing the work and understanding how everything happens. Awesome. So what's the actual title of your degree, if anybody's interested in going into this? Uh, mine is Forensic Technology. So Darcy, why don't you share with the listeners just as a quick reminder as to what your educational background is and why you're interested in forensics? My background is actually in kinesiology. Um, and biomechanics is what I got my master's in. And I'm doing a PhD now, and I'm studying blunt force trauma injuries to the head and neck. So that's what I'm doing my work in right now. Awesome. And, and yeah. what got you interested in forensics? I know that just as a quick little background here for the listeners, Darcy and I knew each other from, from volleyball. We started playing together in a Bobby League. <laughs> and this is also how I met Heather is she plays in one of the Bobby leagues that I oversee. So we have kind of this volleyball connection between all of us. And I know that Darcy and I started talking about true crime while we were sitting playing volleyball in between games, refing that kind of thing. Darcy, how did you initially get interested in it? Into true crime or into the forensic component of it? Into both. So you can start with true crime. I don't even remember how I got into true crime or when it was, but I remember watching like a 48 hours mystery. I think it was one of the first ones I ever saw on the Black Dahlia. And of course that was really fascinating. And then I remember le learning somehow, I don't even know how, about the Oakland County child killer. And that's always kind of been the one that's like most fascinated me and kind of was how I became really fascinated with it. And then with the forensic biomechanics thing, I was in San Diego. I was not working in forensics or anything like that. I was just working uh, with Naval Special Warfare doing sports medicine research. And I watched that documentary, The Staircase, which just was re-released onto Netflix not too long ago with some new footage at the end or whatever. But they had a mechanical engineer who was do it, giving expert testimony on uh, falls and things like that and head injuries due to falls. And it kind of clicked that, like, 
oh, that's a way I can marry what I already know how to do with what I really am interested in. And so from there, it kind of just led into, I found a program where I can study blunt force trauma type injuries and, and do that kind of research. And then, you know, hopefully once I finish here, I, that's, that's where I'll be able to go get a job somewhere. So when did that decision come about with respect to true crime? I know that it, you weren't really talking about that when I knew you back a few years ago before you left for Kentucky. So my job, I was on a, a federal contract, which ended, and that's kind of why I had to leave San Diego. It wasn't a, a decision I wanted to make. So that's why I, I, like like you, Heather, where you would go back to New York in a heartbeat, I would give anything to be back in San Diego. <laughs> so I, when I started looking for PhD programs, I kind of was wanting to find something where I could actually enjoy the research and I could kind of use that to jump into forensics because my previous two degrees are not forensically related at all. I do have the, the biology and things like that. And obviously I have the, the human anatomy stuff. But in order to do something with forensics, I obviously needed to study that and put out some some publications and things like that on blunt force trauma, head and neck injuries. And so I was able to find a school that allows me to do that research. And hopefully I'll be finishing within the next year and a half or so. Very cool. Yeah. So jumping back into Heather, do you cover all types of crime scenes or do you have some sorts of specialty areas that you work in mostly? Uh, I'll start with the caveat that I work for a small agency. So my hands are on everything. If they make a call for me to be out there, it doesn't really matter what kind of crime scene it is. I'm there. I definitely specialize in homicide and violent injuries. Wow. Um, That's usually what... I would say most forensic techs are out there doing. That's usually when they need that kind of technical help. And how many different people do what you do in the department that you work for? Me and one other person. Is that kind of typical with smaller police departments and then larger ones they have a whole bunch or do you happen to know? Larger departments have people who are dedicated to it, whereas even though my title is crime scene specialist, I actually do a lot of other things for the agency as well. Like what? Like, I run their body-worn camera program. I also work on all of their digital evidence. Wow. So any cell phone data, video data, anything like that, that all comes to me, too. Um, I investigate police-regulated businesses, so massage parlors and restaurants and bars. Sure, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I get a little bit of everything uh, where I work right now, which is great for me because I need that kind of variety and I enjoy it. But I would say, you know, if you're going for like a county agency, they have people who are specialized in in more specifically in crime scenes and they're responding to crime scenes exclusively. Along those same lines, how much of your time, what percentages do you spend in the office and how much do you spend out on the actual scene itself? Every day is different. I have days where I think that I'm going to be in the office all day and I look forward to it and think about all the things I'm going to get done and then I don't see my office again for the next eight hours. So it really kind of depends. I would say 60 percent of my time is probably out in the field in some way. Awesome. Wow. Do you work like a set schedule and then you alternate on-call shifts with the other person in the department that also does this or are you kind of just always on call? I am always on call. I have regular hours that I go in and work uh, throughout the week and then I'm on call no matter what. So if something goes down, I'm definitely going to be there. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. 
does your partner um, have issue with that sometimes? Or is it more sort of a she understands that you are pretty much on call and she's okay with it? She's super supportive. She's uh, She's been in law school for the last, I don't know, three, four years. She just graduated. Oh, awesome. Um, so, oh, congratulations. Yeah. So she knows that, you know, how valuable time can be and what it is to oh, spend, yeah. you know, have uh-huh. a 12 hour day and not know that it's coming. Um, so she's always been super understanding and very supportive when I have to pick up and go. I am also in the legal field. I have been to law school, so I understand how that is. Yes. <laughs> but it definitely makes a huge difference when you have a partner that supports what you do versus one that's not quite as understanding. But So obviously we know you can't give out any identifying details or anything specific, but being as you know vague or whatever as, as you need to be, what's the kind of craziest crime scene you've responded to that you can tell us about? If I'm being honest, every homicide that I've been to has been crazy in its own way. So I, I don't know. Okay. They're all kind of the same in a way, you know, they've each had something that has surprised me and it's usually human behavior related. You know, mm-hmm. we go through our lives and have gain experience, you know, interacting with people and, and make some pretty strong assumptions about how people will behave and what they will do. And I've found that every crime scene I've been to, I've been surprised by something that someone has done. Where, you you know, in this job, you can never assume that something happened a certain way. Wow. No kidding. So, I, yeah, I can't say that there's anything. I think some of the craziest things I've ever been to are probably suspicious suicides. Those are always ones where you're not 100% sure if this person has taken their life. They might have, they might not have. It's always it's always sad to be at those, but it's also interesting to learn from it. I learn a lot from the medical examiner when they respond to things like that. I love to pick their brain and kind of ask them what their thought process is and what they're looking for um, because it, you'd be amazed. I mean, you never really know. If you could ballpark how many of these scenes that you have responded to, how many would you say? Dozens? Uh, hundreds? Just suspicious deaths or? Just in general deaths. In general. I don't respond to deaths unless it's suspicious. Okay. Or it's a homicide. Okay. So one of those two, how many would you say? Dozens? Hundreds? No. <laughs> National City is pretty small. So I would say, you know, maybe a handful a year. Wow. Okay. It's, it's not many. Not like that the, many. The ones good. we get are, are, are horrific. something else. Yeah. Jeez. Darcy, you had a question? Sorry. When when you were talking about the suspicious suicides and talking to the medical examiner, what are the kind of things that, that you ask or what are the kind of things that they're looking for to kind of influence their, uh, their, their decision on the cause of death? Uh, they generally don't make a decision necessarily in the field from what I've right. observed. So... The thing that I get most interested in is I'm very interested in blood spatter. So I have some training in that and I like to kind of size up the scene myself and see if I can figure out what happened. Um, But I love talking to the medical examiner about that and seeing what their thoughts are. Just because, I mean, that is their job to respond to these all over the county. Mm -hmm. So they have a lot more experience doing it and they're very, very good at what they do. Um, So that's that tends to be my biggest question is when they're analyzing the things surrounding the victim is, you know, what's going through their head? What's their thought process on it? What are the things that they're seeing that I should take note of because it's a field where I'm constantly learning. And I think 
any crime scene specialist would tell you that, that you're always in training, you're always looking to learn something new. So how is that information provided to you? Do they give you a report or do you schedule a time to have a phone call with them or do you actually go in and sit with them in an office and meet with them? I glean my information informally in the field. I'll just follow them around, talk to them. They do write their reports on this person. Generally, they'll come and collect the body and they will do their autopsy and everything and and write a report after that. If it's a homicide, I will attend the autopsy in case I need to collect anything, document any injuries. So it's just kind of a case-by-case basis. Uh, They do write a formal report, though. Okay. This might be kind of a a dumb question, but do you have to go to police academy at all? Or does someone in your position need to do that? Or is that just kind of you're an independent contractor? Or like, (laughs) how how does that work? I have not been in police academy. I've taken some police classes, uh, especially I think firearms is super important for crime scene techs to know. You're going to find firearms in your job. That's just part of it. And knowing the ins and outs of guns and how they work and how to disarm them is super important. Um, you won't always be called on to disarm a firearm, but it's nice to know that you can if you're in that situation. However, some agencies do require that you go to police academy. So it's very much agency by agency what the requirements are. But it yours just does not require it. Mine does not require it. Have you ever felt kind of along those same lines, maybe a little bit unsafe when you responded to a crime scene, if there was something like that going on? Mm, Never. And my reason for that is, is I always have a detective with me in the field, even when I'm going to do something like get video. And it's a completely serene situation. I always have somebody with me who's looking out for me while I'm doing my job. That's good to know. I I have two questions. So do do you carry a firearm? I don't. And it's not part of my job. But okay. some and then, crime scene people do. So it, again, it depends then, on the agency. Do you do you only respond to a crime scene once it's been secured, or has there ever been an, a chance where you kind of respond immediately? I respond as soon as they call me, and that's usually not before the scene has been secured. Police officers are always the first to respond, and they really do secure the scene and make sure it's safe before I show up. Gotcha. Wow. What what would you say is the hardest part of your job? The hardest part is. Uh, for me, you know, I have a difficult time when the victims are children or elderly people. Those are always the ones that get me the most. I think a lot of people probably feel that way. Yeah. Um, but definitely dealing with the victims is the hardest part when you have to think about the pain that they're going through and these things are never expected and they've just had a sudden loss in most cases. And that's, that's usually the saddest and most emotionally difficult part of the job. Wow. And then conversely, what, what do you like most about it? And, and this can be more general because I'm sure that there are a lot of parts of your job that you enjoy. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be doing it, right? Right. I, I love all of it, but the variety for me is the big thing. In fact, and not knowing how my day is going to be is great because I can never really get complacent. It's never a nine to five. I'm never going to show up and just plug through my day and pack up my stuff and go home. I could have to drop everything in the middle of the day and go out. Or I could be, it's happened before, I've been getting ready to go home and have not been able to go home. That kind of keeps me on my toes so that I don't get complacent in, in my job or, or, you know, expect the same thing every day. So have you had instances where you were getting ready to go on like vacation or something and you got called in and had to cancel it or change it around? 
No, I've been lucky enough not to have that happen to me Knock yet. on wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> when you're on call, if you, so if, say if you're home in the middle of the night and you get a call to report to a crime scene, what's how long does it take you to re- respond or how quickly do you need to get there? I mean, I know it's probably right away, but is there like a window? <clears throat> I think in most cases, you want to be there in less than an hour. Uh, I respond okay. right away. So if I get a call, I'm up and I'm out the door in 15 minutes usually. That's pretty quick. She must not be Do you want me not to high maintenance one or <laughs> right? Go ahead, Darcy. I was just gonna ask if you wanted me to ask this next one again or go for if you it. wanna go ahead. How much do you think technology plays a part in your investigations today? I'd say it plays a huge part in it. And that's probably I'm a little bit biased because I do work on so much of the technology portion of it. Um but we've had cases that were entirely digital evidence where it was all about cell phone data and video analysis. We actually had a case a few years ago that was entirely video, where I was tasked with finding a person within a vicinity of a victim's home and being able to get video following him out of that neighborhood and actually finding the place where the victim and the suspect overlapped. So that was a CCTV kind of an issue where you had to confiscate Yes. Film from a CCTV? Yep. So I was taking I was taking video from everywhere, from gas stations to municipal video, things from uh, cities, you know, video cameras that they have to businesses video. It was anything I could get my hands on that would follow the trail of this person. And that was the entire thing. We illustrated the entire event from start to finish. And that it was, was a homicide? It was a homicide. How long did it take you to gather all of that video evidence? A very long time. (laughs) Weeks? I would say a couple couple weeks where I was working on it almost exclusively and then having to analyze it, make sure that it was, I know I have to present documentation as well. So drafting a report, taking screen captures from the video, analyzing the video, you know, doing a vehicle comparisons, doing comparisons of the suspect's body language to show that it was the same person from start to finish. You know, these are all the things that kind of go into it. So I would say as a whole, I probably worked on it. I worked on it exclusively for about two weeks and then about a month, I would say I was spending time on it significant amount of time. Wow. So essentially this person said they weren't somewhere and you watched the film and presented evidence to say, no, no, you were actually there. No, actually we got his identify. I don't actually, I'm not sure how we got his identification. So that's an important note too, is people who do crime scene evaluation like this, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They're not the people who are investigating the crime. Ah, so that's something important to note. I know in CSI, they carry guns and they do all the mm-hmm. things and, you know, they're the ones who question the, the suspects and everything. That's generally not the case in agencies. You're looking at somebody like me who's more specialized is going to be responding to the scenes, is going to be doing analysis or things like that. But they're not the ones who are questioning suspects or witnesses or gathering that kind of information. It's really a detective or an investigator who's going to be doing that. And that generally does require police academy. Okay. So that's and that's pretty important, to too, though, that they have that separation, because then that keeps you blinded to the investigation and 
prevents your bias when you're looking at that video evidence type stuff, right? Well, I think it does and it doesn't. I would say in a larger agency where they have video techs that work on those things, they're probably not working as closely with the detectives. I work in the investigations unit with all the detectives. I see them every day. And if I'm working on a homicide, I'm spending a whole lot of time with the detective working on it. The big thing is they can form the opinions that they want to form and they can tell me all about them, but I have to be able to form my own opinions. So that's really just kind of a mental exercise for a crime scene person in, in a position like mine is to know that you need to prove whatever you're seeing. So how much of a part of the investigations would you say CCTV is these days? Like half the investigations, a quarter? There is video in every single crime that we've had in my unit since wow. I started. That is wow. crazy. Yes. So if you're out there thinking about committing a crime, don't do it. Don't you're going to be on TV right? somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We can find video just about anywhere. That's incredible. I would not have guessed that. I would definitely would yeah. have guessed that it would have been more like half, but to, for all of them, that is crazy. For a typical... That's wild. For a homicide, you know, what it looks like for me from start to finish is I'll get called out to the scene. I'll work the actual scene, document it, take pictures, collect evidence, do that sort of thing. The things that people are used to seeing on TV. And then I will work on the video portion of it. So that'll be grabbing all of the video, doing the analysis of that. That generally takes longer. So it's usually right. just the first day of the actual incident where I will be on the scene, doing things at the scene and making sure that it's clear. And then from there on, it's all video, all digital evidence. The zoom and enhance thing like in CSI, right? Oh gosh, please no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly like that. But yes, we. it's pretty amazing what we can do with video these days. But yeah, you have to be very careful with with how you how you work on video. You don't want to manipulate it so much that it looks like you changed it in some way. So then along right. those lines, what would you say the most important technology is that you work with today? All of it. I can't pick one. They're like my children. I use all of them equally, I would say. You know, I do a lot of video. We get a lot of information from cell phones. There's, you know, cloud data now too that we work with the you know the ring doorbells the, that's something we work with too fitbits <laughs> information from fitbits i heard a case about oh, yeah. that the other day <laughs> fitbits you know there is something connecting you in some way in most cases you know an apple watch or a cell phone or something like that it's pretty incredible the things that you can get off of those Wow. Yeah, that is no doubt. Very, very interesting. Along those same lines, though, what would you say is the most influential discovery in terms of forensics, in your opinion? Mm, I think the work that we're doing with cell phones right now is phenomenal. It's like mind blowing the things that you can get out of a cell phone. That is awesome. Yeah. Besides just search data, like, and them doing a Google search on how to bury mm -hmm. a body. <laughs> there's other stuff yeah, that they're obviously able to like find. That. Yeah, there's location and, and, you know, all the phone calls that they make. That, that That's their social community. You know, you can find leads that way. There's There's all sorts of stuff you can find in there. Well, I know in the past there have been some issues with cell phone tower pings not necessarily being admissible in... Uh, court cases because of the accuracy issues. Is that not really a thing today or is that not something that's used a bunch? No, no, we use it. In major cases, we have used that before to get locations for suspects. It has been admissible to my knowledge. I haven't had a problem interesting, with it. Interesting, interesting. However, it is not the only thing we're submitting. Okay. So that may have been the issue. I'm not sure about the, the case law there, 
But if you you need to make sure when you're submitting a case to the DA that it's a well-rounded case. You need right. as much evidence as you can. So I would never say that some evidence is more important than another. Like I could, you know, I could get some great fingerprints at the scene, but that's only part of the puzzle, right? You also have your cell phone data, you have video stuff, you may have blood evidence at the scene. All of those need to work in harmony to create a case, right? So it becomes more of an issue when all you have is cell phone tower evidence and that it's not so much when you have a whole variety of things that you're putting together to submit on a case. Yeah, you're going to want to grab as much as humanly possible. They should all kind of help each other in some way. Have you ever testified in court? You know, the funny thing is, is I haven't yet. I've been subpoenaed a whole lot, and somehow I've managed to not testify yet. I am looking forward to it. I, you know, I like to think that I write very good reports. I know for sure I will be testifying next month on a case. I I can't say anything about it, but I do know that that one I will definitely be in court for. But for whatever reason, you know, either my cases, my part in the case was small enough where they felt that it wasn't necessary for me to physically be there or the person pled out or, you know, there's so many reasons for me not to testify. Somehow I've managed to not testify yet. So how long have you been doing this again? Uh, Three years. Okay. So not, three not years long, you haven't testified. Years. That's crazy. Does your department prepare you for being on the stand and answering questions from attorneys and, and prosecutors and things like that? Or is that something that you would be doing on like a case-by-case basis, like specifically for this upcoming one? Or is it a general training thing? Uh, that's kind of a two-part answer. So I did get training when I was in school to do testimony. Um, I had really awesome instructors who really made it tough for me. <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly, they were they were very thorough. They took all of my reports and really picked them apart and, and gave me a real shot at testifying for them. So I feel pretty prepared. Uh, when you're dealing with cases, though, oftentimes I'll pull all of my reports and any evidence that I worked on and review it, make sure it's fresh in my mind. And you do work with the DA on that, too, to, to kind of see what sort of things that they're looking for. So you're not going into it blind. Also, I'm super lucky that I work with the detectives that I do. They've always been very inclusive and taken me under their wing and taught me a lot of things that I wouldn't have known otherwise. That's awesome. So I get a lot of coaching that way as well. Do you listen to podcasts, Heather? I do. What What are some of your faves? You're going to laugh because none of them are true crime. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I stay on top of tech a lot just because it changes so much. And even though I don't know if there are any tech, like forensic kind of digital podcasts out there, but I do listen to it and find it's pretty amazing the things that I can apply to my job just from a regular tech podcast. Right. So I listen to uh, Tech Meme Ride Home, which is like a <laughs> it's like a twenty minute daily podcast, and it's just like a a quick rundown of everything that happened in tech that day. Oh, well, that's cool. And so it's kind of it's he covers everything from security breaches to Apple's you know conferences and stuff like that. And I would say you know eighty ninety percent of it I'm probably never going to use in my field. But it's just kind of nice to know that stuff because sometimes it affects suspects and witnesses and victims in ways that you'd be surprised how you apply it. Anything else besides tech that you listen to? Yes. My favorite podcast of all time is Ologies, which is like, uh, it's Allie Ward does it. She hosts it. She does like, um, she, she interviews science experts Ah. and does everything from anatomy to, you know, 
people who are experts in entomology or sleep or it's, it's all over the place, but it's a really great podcast. Awesome. I might have to check that one out. That yeah, that really sounds nice. really cool. Darsh, you want to take the next question? Yeah. So do you ever get to follow up on the cases that you, like the crime scenes that you cover, like if there's an arrest or things like that? I do follow up on mine um, because I work so closely with the investigators. All of the detectives that I work with, they share information with me pretty freely. We all sit in the same room. I don't think that that's necessarily the norm for every agency. So I would say it's pretty unique to National City and maybe some smaller agencies where crime scene specialists like me get to actually see a case all the way through. I think a lot of them may just be going to the scene, collecting the evidence, submitting it or processing it, whatever they're doing. And that may be the end of the road for them. So it's really, again, it's like a case by case with agencies. Wow, that's interesting. Speaking about cases, is there anything in the news recently, just a generalized case that you have uh, kind of picked up and found interesting? I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it, if I'm being totally honest. (laughs) And you got enough on your plate. I'll tell you why (laughs) I don't pay a ton of attention to it. I will read about them a little bit, but I always take it with a grain of salt because a lot of what the media is releasing is only what they're allowed to release. So tiny portion of what's actually going on. tiny portion. So, you know, when we get cases, you'll see articles written about cases or people have researched them. It's usually just a small portion of what's actually been collected or analyzed or there's a lot of privileged information in there that we're not getting. So I may read about it just to see that it happened, but I also know that there's a lot more going on than they're, you know, putting out to the public. So were you surprised by the capture slash identification of the Golden State Killer? Or is that something that you thought was maybe just a matter of time? I heard some rumblings about that before they caught him. So awesome. (laughs) I kind of knew that was where we were going with things. It doesn't surprise me at all. You've got a bunch of people spitting into test tubes and sending them into a company that deals expressly in DNA. Yeah. At some point, yeah, there's going to be a bridge there. So it does make sense to me. I understand why people are a little worried about that on the other side of that coin too, is donating their DNA. And then that could end up, you know, getting them in trouble later. And then another particular case that I have found interesting that came out in the media pretty recently was the Jack the Ripper identification. Oh, I did didn't you, actually... Did you hear about that no, one? No, I didn't hear about it. They had taken the DNA evidence and linked it back. They had degraded DNA evidence from the scene of one of the crimes, and they linked it to a barber, a Polish barber. Darcy, you remember that, right? I'm not sure that I do, actually. And they, and they identified Jack the Ripper by wow. the DNA evidence on the scene. Interesting. But wow. It's pretty much like, I feel as though a lot of these older crimes, it's really only a matter of time before the technology evolves to the point where we're going to be able to identify most of these unsolved murders. It's already pretty spectacular, the things we can do. Oh, we don't have a DNA criminalist in our lab in mm-hmm. National City, but we do work with the ones at the sheriff, and they are really phenomenal at what they do. So do they lend people to you guys when you need that? Or how, how does it work when you have something that involves DNA if you don't have somebody in your department that does that? The sheriff has their own crime lab. Mm-hmm. They have like a full lab that's fully certified and and they have people who do everything there Um, they tend to cover a lot of the things that the smaller agencies without labs can Mm -hmm. so we'll submit our evidence to them and uh and that's usually how it goes 
Is there a part of your job that you think will change dramatically by the time you retire? I think that digital evidence is going to take over more and more. Mm -hmm. It was something when I left my last job, my last career, I should say, I was hell bent on never touching a computer again. I didn't want to <laughs> deal with technology. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's it. I'm just going to respond to crime scenes and that's all I'm going to do. And that's what I want to do. And no matter how hard I tried, it just kept creeping in like, oh, but you're good at this stuff. So can you get the video? Can you look at this? Can you help me with this? And it just kept happening to the point where I just finally gave up <laughs> and said, okay, fine. Stop I can see it. that this is clearly very important and it is helping us solve cases. And I think it's still a smaller field right. than people realize as far as, you know, people who are experts in cell phone data and, and video data it's a growing field. There's definitely a high demand. So I think that will ultimately become much larger than crime scene uh, techs. So if you're carrying a cell phone around, folks, <laughs> that there's some major data, major evidence on there. So just realize that when you're about to do something that may be against the law, they can pinpoint you with those now pretty accurately. I mean, shit, they're even, they can even listen to you if they want to. I mean, you know. Do your friends and family ever get like grossed out by what you do or do you not really talk about specifics around Thanksgiving dinner or what's that kind of like? <laughs> I'm pretty guarded about the information that I talk about mostly because a lot of people can be very sensitive to it and I don't ever want to upset somebody or expose them to something that they're not prepared to hear about especially since a lot of the stuff that I'm dealing with even though it's fascinating to me might be very upsetting to them it mm -hmm. just kind of depends I mean my wife hears about a lot <laughs> obviously. So she, whether she wants to or not, whether she wants to or not, she hears about a lot, but even there have been some cases I've worked on that have been upsetting enough that I have not even told her about them. Even if she's wow. asked me, I've said, I don't want to tell you because you really shouldn't, you shouldn't have to know what I had to deal with today. But as a professional, do you have to see a counselor or a therapist or something when you have issues like that, that pop up? Uh, my police department offers counseling, free counseling, if you ever need it, if you ever run into something that's upsetting to you or you need to talk to a professional about it, they do offer it. I have not needed it yet, okay. but that's not to say I might not in the future. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's a really great resource that they offer that. Yeah, they offer it to everybody. All officers, uh, all civilians have the ability to see a counselor free of charge. What type of law does your wife want to go into? She was interested in tax law for a while. Uh, she's taking a break right now. So uh, if you're thinking that she's interested in criminal law, the answer is no. So we have <laughs> talked about that. Is she trying to shy away from that area? Yeah. yeah, that's the big joke everybody always says to us is, oh, you guys are going to be like this crime fighting team. And it's, it's absolutely not. Um, she's, she's not like, on board with no, that. She is not. She's not on board with it. And I will say, you know, she's gonna take a hard pass. <laughs> it is. It's great to talk to her though when I run into frustrations with how a case is going, and I, you know, I need better understanding of the law or the incentive that a lawyer might have to do something that they do. I have the ability mm -hmm. to bounce all of that off of her, and I can kind of vent, and she'll tell me why, and I kind of like having that ability too. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Yeah, I think everybody should have a lawyer friend or somebody. Right? I ask questions. I ask Sarah questions all the time. I'm like, what does this Latin thing mean? She's, like, she's just explained it to me. What does it mean when they say this is dismissed without prejudice? When You know, yeah, she can just fucking Google I that. <laughs> I could Google it, but... I can Google it and it's going to give me something that I probably would still have to ask you a follow-up. This way you can just tell me in a response and a quick right. easy text. And it's, then, yeah, it's true. And then you'll get stuck down a rabbit mm-hmm. hole and it could be hours before you actually get the answer. Oh yeah. <laughs> exactly. Why pay $160,000 for me to learn the information when I can just ask somebody else? <laughs> that is so true. If you could tell us one thing about your job that is the most bizarre or crazy, what do you think that would be? Crazy. And you're certainly welcome to say there is nothing that's bizarre or crazy. <laughs> that would be okay, too. It's it's all kind of bizarre and crazy when you think about it. I mean, I show up at scenes where somebody's been killed, usually. And so that's kind of the... To me, that's the craziest thing, is taking somebody else's life. I, don't, yeah. I can't think of a reason to ever be driven to do that. Do you think a lot of your yeah, coworkers become desensitized to that after a while and sort of don't I, really see it as... I think you Is that can. kind of the danger of the job? It's part of the danger of the job. It's it's a unique position in that you need to be able to approach it with, uh, you know, it's a very solemn situation. It's very sad for the victim, but you have to be able to mentally prepare yourself for it. Yeah. It's this weird line that you kind of have to walk between being sensitive to everything that's there, but not so sensitive that it upsets you. Right. You know? Darcy, do you have something to add? And then the other thing is, is I know that a lot of people think that crime scenes are like CSI. That they, that's, you're seeing it on TV and that's exactly how it plays out. Why don't yeah. you kind of explain how that's not the case? It's not, a, it's not the case because there are actually many people that do work on crime scenes. They have a handful of people in, in the CSI shows where, you know, you see the CSIs in the field and they carry a gun and they you know, talk to suspects and victims and witnesses and they also collect stuff and then they do work in the lab too. And they do all of these things. And there's like maybe two lab techs in the background that actually are doing, you know, the DNA and the, and stuff like that. And, and the the CSIs also run the prints and do the comparisons and all that. And that's, I mean, that couldn't be more untrue. Oh, you mean they don't find 20 pieces of usable <laughs> evidence within an hour and no. 16 sets of great fingerprints? I mean, sometimes what? you can really luck out in that way. But, <laughs> you know, there's people who specialize in DNA, and that's what they do, and that's what they're excellent mm-hmm. at. There are people who specialize in latent fingerprint analysis, and that is a whole other unit, and that's what they specialize in, and that's what they're good at. Crime scene specialists, like, you know, at larger agencies will go, and they're the best at collecting the evidence and surveying a scene and knowing what's important to take with them and knowing how to develop fingerprints and being able to lift them successfully. And that's their job is to do that. You know, we have detectives that are super, I love my detectives very much. So I probably am talking them up a lot, but they're the best at what they do. And it's their job to take all of those things that these specialists collect and provide results for and make sense of it. Do you think you'll retire in this position? I have no idea. I don't know what's, don't what's even ahead want to for me. I don't even want to speculate. Um, I, I don't, I'm sure I'm going to stay in law enforcement in some capacity, most likely. How many women do you work with? Ooh, good question. Or is it a field that's dominated by men? The other uh, property and evidence specialist that we have is female. And I work with two female detectives. I would say at my agency, it's 
largely male right now, but that's, you know, that's an agency by agency thing too. So I would say our agency happens to have a lot of males in it. Some don't, some are more evenly balanced. Is there a push, do you think, to sort of recruit more females to get into that particular field? In forensics, I don't think there's a shortage of females. Mm -hmm. There are actually quite a few. I would say that there were less males in all the trainings that I've been to than females. Interesting. It was really female-dominated. I think there is a push for more females to be police officers. Yeah. We need some balance there as far as, you know, who's responding to things. Right. If you can talk a little bit about this, do you, do you know or are you able to share the clearance rate for National City when it comes to homicides? I don't have an official clearance rate. I can really talk about the ones that I've worked on in the last three years. Uh, we've solved every single one. Wow. Except wow. for one, which I am pretty sure is going to be solved in the next two months. That is incredible. Is that one, is it pretty recent or is it an older one? It, it would be considered a cold case at this point. And that was kind of, I think, the next question that we had on here. Do you work on cold cases, too? And I know you just said you did. But what would you say the, per- the portion of cold cases versus current ones is? Is it 50-50? Is it 75-25? What, what is the proportion there? I don't work on cold cases very often. So maybe 10% of the time, 5% of the time, 1% of the time? Maybe 5% of the time. That's very if interesting. If I could say that. I mean, if we have a, a cold case that has a decent lead on it, and I have a detective that's real hot on pulling up evidence and starting to work on it again, right? then I will work on it and I will dedicate a lot of time to it. But those are rarities where they're actually so coming and asking me about that. This one that you think is going to be solved relatively quickly, is it something we'll see in the news when that, when that comes around, you think? Uh, possibly. That really, I think, is dependent on the news. Possibly. Does National City get a lot of media coverage as far as what's covered on the news channels and the, in the papers? Or is there, or do they kind of fly under the radar? Mm, we get coverage when there's a homicide. Oftentimes there are independent uh, media people that show up at those scenes and document them for but other news stations. That would never be something that you would need to give statement on. That would be an official police spokesperson that would be the one talking to them? That would definitely be one of my supervisors, a sergeant or a lieutenant who would speak on it. I've had media people try to get me to speak to them while I'm working a scene. I, I will not give them any information. You just give them the finger, right? No. no I'm just kidding. <laughs> I definitely do not do that. I cannot see Heather giving anyone the finger. She's just not that kind of person. It's just a no comment <laughs> kind of situation. Yeah. Awesome. The case that I'm testifying on this summer, too, if, if that one does actually ever come to a close, I will share that one, too, because I'm quite proud of that one. Oh, my gosh. We've got to have awesome. Heather come back on the show I then. That. She's going to have to be like a regular guest contributor because this has been awesome. What would you say the average time then is for a murder case from start? to finish from the time that it gets reported to the police to the time that it's completely finished and it, through the court system like five years ten years it's a, it, there's no average for that interesting it is very much on a case-by-case basis we've had homicides that were done right away where we got good leads and the detectives went hard they got what they needed and i helped them with whatever they needed and the da was really hungry to go after it and they will go 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 on those things and it might be done just a few months after it happened but then wow. there are others that are complicated and, you know, there's a lot of factors involved. The DA's involved, the courts are involved. Whether they plead. Whether they plead, there's all kinds of negotiations that happen in the background. We're trying to get more information from them. The defense attorneys are a whole other factor in how they want to do things. Wow. Um, you That's know, crazy. And the suspects also are an X factor, too. 
where, you know, I've had situations where a suspect will fire their attorney, which slows down the process or, you know, decide to represent themselves. That slows down the process. <laughs> which is all, we know that's always a good decision. Uh, yes. <laughs> what? I can't, I can't believe that still happens. Like you got to know at this point, you're just, that's just, you're throwing it away. Yeah, I, I I couldn't tell you what their thought process is, but that those kinds of things do happen, and it does change how quickly a case comes to right. life. So somebody that presumably committed murder, so we couldn't possibly understand what they're going, what's going no. through their minds. Can you speak to how many percentage-wise homicides that you respond to are familial in nature, or how many are random? I have never been to a homicide that was familial. Wow, really. But that, you know, that has a lot to do with the demographic for that area? my particular city. You know, I think that really depends. People like to look at crime scene investigation as this one big blanket thing, and there's, you know, facts for all of it. But there are so many different factors that change how these crimes work. You know, San Diego is going to be different from National City that's different from Chula Vista or... You know, Escondido. New York City and, you know, Queens is probably different from Brooklyn or, you know, whatever. It's always yeah. different. So the things that I deal with are going to be things that are very distinct to National City that follow that demographic. Interesting. Cool. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. We are thank you give guys. Heather, a major, major thank you. This is the point in the podcast, though, where we start to wrap it up. We say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Questions, comments, or suggestions, please send them to our email at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. Darcy, social media? We are at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, so go give us a follow. Please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stuff. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye.